0: Thank you, Don. As Don just said, I'm a non-alcoholic. Uh, I've been involved with AA since the mid '70s. Uh, I um, got involved. I'm an, also an ordained Episcopal priest. Uh, so for for Northern Ireland, I guess that's okay. Uh, the uh, I uh, got involved with AA by uh, because things were bad. Things were happening to members of my congregation. Uh, I'm, before that, I was one of the better enablers because I'm a pretty skilled guy, and I could help people feel good about not having to stop drinking. Um, <laughs> but once I learned something about Alcoholics Anonymous, and I'm I, I, uh, my whole ministry changed. Uh, And one of the things I discovered is probably 80% of the people that I deal with have alcoholism in the family system, pretty close usually. Uh, But uh, when I first got to this congregation, this was maybe the second month I was there, I got a call from a parishioner said, would you stop, this is a Saturday morning, said, would you stop by the jail and see my husband? Last night, he got paid, went to a bar, spent his whole paycheck and ended up in a fight. And now he's in jail and I'm not speaking to him. Would you go talk to him? (laughs) Uh, I had never had that before. Uh, And uh, that opened my eyes that there were some problems going on and I had no idea what to do. I didn't know what to tell her. I didn't know what to tell him. I had no idea. I was absolutely in, in a fog. And that's, I guess, the one thing I feel good about is that I knew that I was in a fog. So I decided I needed to learn about Alcoholics Anonymous, alcoholism and decided to go to the experts, which is meetings of AA. Now, those of you who've got 30 or 40 years sobriety remember the old days when the meetings were filled with smoke. You sat in the back, if you sat in the back, you couldn't see the speaker. Uh, the room was so full, I would come home at night and my wife would say, take off your clothes and leave them outside, you smell. Uh, it was a, a, a very different experience. But what really changed my life was five years later, 1980, a member of my parish who had seven years sobriety uh, walked into my office and said, Ward, you're the spiritual expert, right? I don't think I answered that. He went on and said, I'm out of touch with God. The last time I was out of touch with my higher power, I drank, if I drink again, I may die. I need you to put me back in touch with God. Well, I had enough sense again to know I couldn't do that. Uh, And and so we, we talked then and talked again and a couple of days later and decided what we needed was a group of members of AA who had at least five years sobriety and were struggling with some of the spiritual issues in their life and we started meeting on tuesday afternoon and for the next five years until i, I moved from louisville kentucky uh, i met with that group every day every week and the spiritual experts life was transformed uh, that's where i began to learn the steps that's where i began working the steps i've always considered Willie my first sponsor uh, and my, my ministry my life everything about me has been transformed by this program for the good. It's been good for my my marriage. It's been good, I think, for my fathering of my children. Uh, it's certainly been effective in terms of my work as a priest and it's been a joy to be a part associated with this fellowship. Um, in 03, I was elected a trustee of the General Service Conference, General Service Board. And then in 09 was elected chair of the board for and served that for four years and then retired and and uh, rotated and am now uh, trustee emeritus, which means I go to the meetings and tell them we used to talk about that. Uh, because the memory with rotation for the board is pretty, pretty short, so they want us, want us old guys to come occasionally. Um. a little bit of my own story, my own emotional story, if you like, uh, why this program connected so much for me and has done so much for me. Uh, as a as a teenager, I, w- I was a practically perfect teenager. I did all the things my folks wanted. I had good grades, I had a job. I saved enough money to pay my first year of college. Of course, it was cheaper then. Uh, I. Uh, was a all county basketball player and i was miserable i felt absolutely isolated and alone i felt like no one knew or cared about me that they stood around and applauded me and said aren't you wonderful now let's win this game uh and and it was really i thought a lot about suicide i felt like my life had no meaning and no and i had no worth uh and uh it was really pretty, a pretty horrible experience. And there was only one kind of good piece of that. And this is where the church came in. Uh, in the summer, I went to church camp where I was accepted. Nobody knew all my wonderful achievements and they just accepted me as a as a child of God, who's beloved of God. And slowly, I think that saved my life, that, that I began to realize I have worth even if I can't figure it out. Um, and uh, So uh, symptomatic of that today, I have no friends from high school or from college that I keep up with. I have many friends that I still see from those summers at at camp. Uh, And they come over and stay with us for a week, usually most summers. Uh, What the church taught me is that I have worth, that I'm lovable and that I'm loved. What AA taught me was what gave me was a program that really frees me from the bondage of self more than any other program that I've ever known. Part of, you know, it's hard to be a practically perfect teenager and be honest. So I developed a pretty good skill at lying. And uh, rigorous honesty is just my theme and has been now for years. It is so much easier. than trying to keep an image up. Uh, it's, it's really quite wonderful. Uh, this, this program has been integral in my spiritual development and it's continued to be so. Uh, the book that I just, that's actually coming out today uh, called 12 Steps to Religionless Spirituality, uh, the power of spirituality with or without God uh, is is sort of, well, when I was trying to, people asked me to write the book and I was trying to figure out what to do. And I finally said, well, what I need to do is to share my my own experience, strength and hope. That's what we do. And so it's a book that sort of does that, I hope. And I hope it will be helpful to some people. Um, but it uh, again reflects my own development in the last few years as I try to understand what do we mean by God, what do we mean by spirituality, what do we mean by spiritual transformation, all of these topics that are so important to us. Let me say as a non-alcoholic, I do recognize that there are some differences among us. I have not known the hell that many of you, maybe most of you knew before you got to this program. a teenager thinking about suicide is a serious thing, but it's not quite at the level of the despair that many, most in this program seem to have experienced before they got here. Um, and my spiritual practice is not as obviously a matter of life and death. Uh, as Willie said, if, if if I can't be in touch with my higher power, if I can't somehow be spiritually connected, I may drink again. to to be in that situation, a life and death situation, to work on your spiritual program. Uh, I think mine is equally life and death, but it's not as obvious. uh, And it doesn't happen as quickly as folks who who walk out of the rooms for a while. So I told Mark we'd talk a little bit about uh, the power of spirituality. And, and in some ways that's what i hope this book is about uh, but before we get into the power of spirituality i think i need to make a clear distinction between religion and spirituality most of we often hear people say i'm not i'm spiritual not religious well to define spirituality as not religion uh, so is basketball well maybe maybe in the south that football is a religion but Uh, not hockey in the South, that's in the North. Uh, Anyway, uh, now I'm getting myself messed up. Uh, But to define spirituality as something that it is not, is not much of a definition. So let's first of all, make the distinction between religion and spirituality. And then I want to try to look at at spirituality, what it is, and then look a little bit at 12-step spirituality as we experience it. This is an outsider's view and that has good things and it has some maybe not so good things. So take, it what's, take what's helpful to you and please just ignore everything else. Uh, and maybe we'll have some Q&A at the end of this to maybe uh, you may have some questions. Religion, institutionalized religion has a set of beliefs. And if you believe them, then you can be in. And if you don't believe them, then you're probably not gonna be in. Uh, Even churches that don't use the word dogma have a set set of beliefs that that members should follow. There's also an organized structure with a hierarchy. I love it that AA is not to be organized. That's one of my favorite parts about this fellowship. And we've been pretty successful with that. Uh, But in the church is an organized structure with a often hierarchical and and in most denominations, Christian denominations dominated by males. Um, There's a regulated style of worship. Uh, We've in the the Episcopal church, Anglican church, we follow the Book of Common Prayer uh, and there are expectations about sermons, usually around the length uh, there and that they should be a little entertaining. There are um, uh, ethics, things that are right things that are wrong and if in many denominations that feels like a kind of ethics of perfection to me Uh, oh if you don't know the book Ernie Kurtz and Catherine Ketchum spirituality of imperfection let me recommend that to you that's a fabulous fabulous book uh we can come back to that if you'd like there's there are clear boundaries of who's in and who's out in in a church and there's uh constant demands for financial support. Spiritual, on the other hand, is broad, it's inclusive. Spiritual. I like to define spiritual realities as all those things that affect our lives that we cannot see or touch. That means things like love, resentment, hope, anger, peace, anxiety, serenity. Those are what we're talking about when we talk about spiritual realities. They are present for all human beings and there are no boundaries about who's spiritual and who's not spiritual. There's no in groups and out groups. Spiritualities are not shared through doctrine or teaching but are shared by sharing one story. The only way that I can share with you why this program means a lot to me is by sharing something of my story, of my teen years of my ministry and of and how wonderful this fellowship has been. Uh, I'm probably best known in the United States in in the service structure as the chair who didn't like to have the Lord's Prayer at particularly at open meetings. Um, I got in trouble regularly with that statement, but I think we have got to keep religion out of aA because once we get in and there's a right way and there's a fixed way and there's an organization, um, I think we're in trouble. And the place we begin to be in trouble, first of all, is with a newcomer. When the person first walks through the doors of AA, I've only met one who said, I had a really strong faith in God, but I just couldn't manage to make it work. Everybody else that I've ever talked with about their relationship with God before they came into AA was pretty negative or nothing. Many have been judged by the church. Many have been shamed by the church. And to hear God talk when they walk in is really difficult. We we just can't add a ritual of saying the Lord's Prayer together and expect newcomers uh, to, to come back. And we hear stories about people who came, who were turned off by the religion, but eventually had no other place to go and came back. But more often, more often, we don't hear those stories. If they came and went away, we don't know what happened. And that's what really bothers me a lot. Also, let's, be, let's get really clear. AA is open to anyone who desires to stop drinking. That's it. That's the only criteria for membership. That's why I'm actually not a member. Um, the, uh, uh, that, that means there is no theology of God. Atheists, agnostics, freethinkers are welcome. Jews, Muslims, uh, non religious are welcome, religious fundamentalists are welcome, though I have a harder time with them. Uh, and uh, anyone who desires to stop drinking, so let's keep, particularly for open meetings where you think the new person's coming, uh, let's keep the keep religion very distinct uh, from the spirituality of, of AA. One of the one of my gripes, the uh, pamphlet that I've pushed very hard to be, bring out that the year after I rotated as chair came came out called The Paths to Spirit, Multiple Paths to Spirituality. That's not what AA is about. We're not about paths to spirituality. We're about paths to recovery. The pamphlet, I think, is a great, is a very fine pamphlet, but the title really <laughs> just turns me off and and concerns me a little bit. What we're talking about is multiple paths to recovery, not to spirituality. We live in a secular age, and I think our secular age makes a couple of mistakes uh, about spirituality. Uh, First of all, because we're secular and tend to associate spirituality with God, um, we underestimate its power. And I think this is sometimes true in AA as well, that that if the spirituality is associated with God, we better be careful about underestimating the power of that spirituality. And we get folks who, in AA, a lot of people don't like the word spirituality getting thrown around. I've experienced this in conversations with many, particularly those among atheists, agnostics, and free thinkers. They think spirituality is a way of sneaking in religion. Uh, I wanna be as clear as I can that that's not what I intend. And and I hope that we can all begin to understand that spirituality and religion are quite different. Spirituality then is the way we respond to all those things that are spiritual that affect us. It's a way our lives are organized so that certain responses and results become characteristic. Uh, it may include intentional efforts, or it may include uh, unconsidered responses. When spirituality may be conscious or unconscious, it can be understood as experience and principles that guide us, but it's, it's a part of who we are. I'm gonna break that down in just a minute. What I wanna to say to, the secular, to our secular age is that spirituality is powerful and it works. And there's no group that shows that more clearly than the AA and the 12 steps of AA. Um, You you may be aware of of Hazelden for many years has had a match study that they followed and has consistently showed that AA is the most successful, the 12 step spirituality is the most successful long-term treatment for addiction, alcoholism. Uh, But probably the most important thing that happened last year is a study from the Cochrane Foundation uh, which involved several hundred different studies, several thousand. Anyway, I, I, I should have looked that up. Uh, but it is uh, the, the, sci- the most scientific study of, the, of recovery. And it is quite clear that Alcoholics Anonymous is the way for, full reco- for long-term recovery against all of the other ways that they looked at. Um, it works spirituality is powerful and in our secular age we keep people don't believe it you know i think it's really kind of funny uh people look at aa and say well that's some kind of spiritual kooky group uh outsiders not those who know uh, but it is a power that transforms lives and brings health and healing and wholeness Some. A few observations from a friend, who has observed not as a member, but as one who has observed and studied and been strengthened and changed by this spirituality. So I want to share some observations here for the next few minutes. First of all, spirituality is a combination of three. How do we? How do we, what, what do we mean? How do we become spiritual? And and since we're all spiritual. Uh, it's, it's a combination of three things that we do, perception, feelings, and choices. So perception varies from each person to person. A wonderful story, uh, two men walking through Times Square and one of them from a rural Western state and the other a New Yorker. And as they're walking through Times Square in the middle of the day, the, the man from Arizona says, I hear a cricket. And the New Yorker with him looked at him and said, you can't hear a cricket. That's not possible to hear a cricket in this in this noise. He goes away, he looks through a couple of the planters and sure enough, he finds a cricket. And the, and the New Yorker says, that's amazing. How do you, what kind of hearing do you have? And he says, no, it's not about hearing, it's about what you hear. And he said, let me show you. So he reached in his pocket, pulled out the change that was in his pocket, dropped it on the sidewalk and a half a dozen people stopped and looked. Uh, we are trained from our history to to perceive certain things and and it's largely based on our likes our dislikes our fears our hopes our experience our history Um, what's the difference in somebody being lazy and laid back the difference is The difference is in who's doing the perception and how the perceiver feels about the person. If I like the person, then they're laid back. And if I'm not very fond of the person, then they're probably lazy. Uh, That's the way perception works. It's guided by by the spirituality of who we are. And the feelings uh, are an important piece of, of that. How do we feel about things? And when we live our lives with resentment and blame we have absolutely put blinders on our perception and we're not going to see the world. one of the things that's so wonderful and and important in this fellowship is to live in the world as it is not as we would try to create it and uh, doing the world on the world's terms um, that's a change in spirituality that takes those blinders that came from my resentments, from my blame, from my desire to be, be the practically perfect person, my desire to not give up alcohol. All of those feelings are, affect how we see things and, and are a component of our spirituality. And those feelings change as we grow spiritually in one way or another. And finally, there are choices. Most of our choices are unconscious or simply automatic reactions. When somebody says, s- criticizes me for something that I have done, my immediate response is to defend myself. I think that's generally true of most human beings. Uh, when, uh, uh, when I have to make a choice, uh, In fact, there's been some really interesting contemporary work on the way human beings make choices and brain studies and and to simplify it, um, what is leading the way is an understanding that in evolution, human beings had to react quickly. When a saber tooth tiger is coming down the trail, you don't need to sit there and analyze all of the possibilities of, what might happen, what it ought to do, what what he's gonna do, you just need to get out of there. And so you make a quick decision. And in fact, our brains have been programmed so that we make quick decisions. Uh, We don't consider all the, uh, in fact, we can't. Uh, There's some basic research lately that says human being, a single human being cannot know truth because we're gonna take shortcuts to the decisions that we make and the actions that we take. Uh, And so one of the things we like to do with that, then when we get bad results is to blame somebody else uh, or carry a resentment for how many years. Uh, Part of what's been wonderful for this program to me, uh, I was the Dean at General Seminary in New York City for 12 years. When I left my successor did things I would never have done and which I would Oppose in every possible way. Um, I've let it go. I can talk about it. Our, the staff I had together was a great staff. We get together every year now for a great party. Uh, I don't think I could have done that without the way this program has taught us to leave, let go, to deal with resentment, to share it, but be done with it. Uh, that one of the things I have to accept is that the past is past and I can't change it even though I keep trying to. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, uh, and so we go through life uh, weaving together this pattern of perception based on feelings, based as a result of our choices, based on feelings as a result of our, our perception And there's a kind of, each of us is different. Everyone has a spirituality. All human beings have spirituality. It's like health. It may be good health or bad health. It may be a spirituality that is positive and brings new life. Or it may be a spirituality that is negative, leads to isolation and and despair. But we all have spirituality, like health, good or bad. So... AA spirituality differs from any other spirituality that I am aware of. And that's because its basis was on what works. Its basis uh, from that first meeting with Bill and Bob is we are discovering something that works, that helps us stay sober. And that grew to where we have the 12 steps and the traditions. it, it's pragmatic. If this works, this is a part of our program. If this doesn't work, it's not a part of our program. I don't know of any other spirituality that does that, including the whole idea about God. So we go to God as we understand him, not any theology thereof. Um, and there are things that are particularly important that I would like to reflect on just a little. Um, the first and most obvious thing about AA is we meet. Uh, And uh, I'm reminded of uh, when Hurricane Sandy came into New York was the weekend of the board meeting and of the uh, international meeting as well. Um, Sunday night, we had the shortest board meeting on record. On Monday morning, those of us who could leave got away, but those who couldn't, many of them being international delegates, uh, were stuck in the hotel, uh, in Westchester. All power was gone, all communication was gone, and there they were in the hotel, stuck, um, that evening, and the hotel, had opened its doors to the workers who were coming in, trying to restore power, clean up some of the trees, the damage that had been done, and, And uh, that evening, one of the workers who had been working all day long and was really irritable walked into the hotel and and started ranting and raving about how awful things were and why there wasn't any light and there's no phones, there's no nothing. And and, uh, looked at this group of people that were sitting over in the lobby and said, what the hell are you doing here? And they said, well, we're members of AA. We're here for the board meeting and for the international uh, gathering and... uh, he said, oh, I could use a meeting. And they found a book, they found some candles, they found uh, uh, a couple of flashlights that sort of worked, and they had a meeting. And when the meeting was over, uh, the workers was much more relaxed and serene. I wouldn't say from what people said that he was transformed totally, but it was a different person. Uh, and and that experience is, is just, that's what happens in meetings. Uh, he needed that fellowship, that support, that people to listen and the recognition that the problems he was fussing about were not nearly as, as big as the problem he had, uh, had overcome to the support of this fellowship. Um, that's what happens when a person comes to their first meeting, you, you know, there's, Our culture does not honor people who need help. Maybe Ireland's better about that than we are, but in the United States, independent perfection is the gold. Um, So to walk in and say, my life has become unmanageable is is a, a major step in personal spiritual transformation. And it happens within the group where there are people who say, yeah, we've been there. Uh, Here's my phone number, give me a call. Uh, What is this power uh, that's in the group? Well, every group has a culture. Present present day business theory likes to study the culture of a a business because if the culture is not in conformity with the productive goals, there will be problems. I had a friend in, in college went to work for a construction firm, got there early, worked hard, continued to work a couple of times through lunch, uh, left late. And one of the construction workers came over to him and said, you know, the way we do that here is, is we get here when it's time to get here and we leave when it's time to leave. And if a project's not quite done, it's okay. And my friend understood the culture of that group of workers was to follow the law to follow the, not necessarily to get the work done. That's the way cultures work. Well, in my experience in AA, uh, the culture is one of acceptance, of honesty, of accountability, of truthfulness, of gratitude, of love and tolerance. And that culture is very powerful. By the time someone's come to two or three meetings, they are being transformed by the power of that culture uh, and it is able to do what nagging friends, spouse, psychologist, strong will, and righteous religious are unable to do. It is able to transform the lives of those who are, who, are, who are looking for a new life because the one they have has become unmanageable. Many in AA refer to the spirit of this group, the culture, the spirit of the group as, as God, others would prefer to refer to it as an esprit de corps as the culture as as the way the group functions uh my sense is that all of those folks experience the power of this group and whether they want to name it god or name it or or not name it god or leave it as a higher power which is uh it certainly is a power that is given freedom to their lives uh then it doesn't matter. The experience is what really matters. Uh, so there's a power in the in the group that gathers, that transforms lives. And I don't think we need to name the power. I like higher power or, or even just HP uh, because it is a power greater than I am that helps me become who I really want to be. Another area that for me has been so critically important is rigorous honesty. Um, As I said, that first step, when one comes into the meeting and says, I'm powerless, I need help is a beginning of of honesty that they have been denying up until then. I'm sure y'all understand, our world does not honor honesty this is particularly true for clergy. Um, you know, people in congregations want their clergy to be good. They don't want them to be honest and be careful how much you're honest with people. It's uh, it's it's tricky. Um, and for somebody who had a problem of wanting to be the most admired of all people, this was a, a real trap for me and the, this fellowship where, in fact, the thing that trans- I think first transformed my life with this little group of, of, of men and on Tuesday afternoon, uh, and it was all men, um, was the, ex- the experience of a, of a group that expected honesty. And, it, and it, nobody's talked about it, they just did it. And if I was being a little phony, they challenged me. And while I came to understand that they didn't care what I'd done or what I thought or what I believed, They just cared that i be as honest as I could with it. That is an incredibly freeing experience for clergy. And I've since worked with a a variety of clergy to try to help set up some groups. And I discovered that if a clergy person wants to have a group that will be a support group, they need an alcoholic in it because members of AA have a great BS detector and it's wonderful for a group. It's essential, it's wonderful for me, it's essential for the alcoholic to be rigorously honest. It's all of that previous lying, deceit, lying to self, denial, twisting the world that that is a part of the spirituality of of self that has led to continued drinking. Um, Rigorous honesty is essential if one is to stay sober. Uh, I think Bill says that I should have written this quote down too, but it's in in how it works that w- that we read that those who can't be honest are are not likely to succeed uh, it's It's essential and it's worked out in steps four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine. By the time you get through those, you know something about honesty and honesty for yourself, particularly when they're done with a sponsor and then again get to repeat them again and then again. It is this spirit of rigorous honesty that is freeing and a part of the power of this spirituality that brings a spiritual transformation. And then at another level it's the honest sharing of self that connects with the newcomer and with others in the group. Um, Friend of mine who was a uh, business executive tells his story and always refers to the bottle he kept in the file drawer next to his desk. And there's nearly always some smiles between, not that everybody had a file drawer with a, with a bottle in it, but everybody had a place that they kept a bottle, whether it was in the back of the toilet or behind the stove behind the furnace or, or under the seat of the car, they, we have to keep a supply. And, and it's just that honest sharing is what connects and people say, yes, I know that. And and they hear that honest sharing and they're seeing someone who is happy, joyous and free. And that first hope begins to emerge. Even in the structure of AA, uh, seeking of truth as opposed to imposing a political opinion is central. That we have to have two thirds to, to, to uh, get a group conscience uh, that we talk until we get there. Uh, let me tell you, ad- administering, being the chair at conference with the amount of talk that we do with a hundred people, each of whom has an opinion, uh, it, it in the beginning, it was so tiring. And then I realized my job was not to try to help the group find the agree or get there, my job was to to keep the conversation going so that uh, we would find a a group conscience. Uh, That takes a lot of talk, takes a lot of time. It's not very efficient, but it's part of the spirituality of this program that says rigorous honesty is a way of life. Uh, Another uh, reflection if you like um, sharing our stories uh, sharing of stories is central in aA whether it's in a discussion group or or in the in a uh, speaker meeting uh, people are going to share their own experience their own story their own way um, and that's how we share our spirituality it's in sharing of the story uh, If you ask me what's important to me, uh, the only way I can really answer that is by sharing stories where something that's important to me has played an important function. Um, And the stories in AA tend to be a movement from despair and chaos to a new life. And so the, the, the identity of the person and the identity of the group become aimed at this new life. Um, identity and story are are deeply connected. Uh, That's part of why I can't begin talking about the steps without talking about my own teen years, my own look at suicide, my own trying to be practically perfect because it is this program that transformed that for me. And, And that's why it's important to me. So that's how I can share something of the spirituality of this program. Uh, I have a group that I helped found here in, in uh, East Tennessee. Uh, We're a very rural county. We had one, one group that was meeting, and so we needed another, and we got another one. Uh, and I go, I don't go every week. I think it's in, inappropriate for a non-alcoholic to be there all the time, but I go uh, regularly every two or three weeks. And I remember we had a, a young man, I'll call him John, Uh, who, this is a discussion meeting, and he would sit there and never said a thing. He was there on a court order uh, and for weeks, he just came, sat, got his order signed and left. And I, I happened to be there the day that he first spoke and he simply said, my name is John, I'm an alcoholic. That's enough for now. And you could feel in the whole room a sense of, well, thank goodness. We, we I, he's he's going to make it, and in fact, I was there when he was uh, sharing his own story, um, and he talked about all the chaos that he had lived through, with a with a level of humor, uh, as is usually the case in AA. We have a lot of humor, and that's wonderful because it takes care, it reduces the shame, and it it puts it in the proper perspective. Um, but it was mostly about how things were and then that he got arrested and he's been coming to this meeting. It was much later at a different meeting where he was the speaker and I was able to be present. And he talked about making amends to his boss. And he, he talked about how this spiritual program made that, he didn't want to do it. His uh, uh, sponsor said, you have to do it if you want to stay sober. And so he went to his boss who was very aware that he had, had been pretty unproductive. And he said when it was over, they had suddenly had a new relationship and it was it built on trust. And he was, felt freer than he'd and fuller than he'd had for years. Um, but that sharing, so, so he moved from how it was to what happened to how it is now. And here's a person with a whole new identity. And he got there by sharing his story in a group that wanted rigorous honesty where love and tolerance is our code. That's the power of this program. And lastly, um, I wanna talk a little bit about service. And let me share with you a story from my friend, Howard, who's, who, who lives near here in his first 12-step call. His sponsor had called him up and said, you're going with me. And Howard said, where am I going? He says, well, we're going to make a 12-step call. And Howard, uh, I will call his friend Jim and and the person they called Fred. So they went out to Fred's house, which was well out in the country. And they knocked on the door and Fred said, come in. And Fred was sitting in a recliner. And it was the only piece of furniture in the whole, whole room. And he had a shotgun across his lap. And Jim said, uh, Fred, what's with the shotgun? He said, I'm I'm protecting my stuff. And Jim said, Jim, yeah, got stuff. Fred said, looked around. Oh, OK. And laid the shotgun down on the floor. And then Jim looked at my friend Howard and said, you're on. Howard shared his story. Jim shared his story. Fred sort of, and, and then they ended by saying, uh, we're on our way to a, an AA meeting, and would be happy to take you if you would like to come. And and uh, uh, Fred said, "Well, I, I see that y'all need that, but I don't really need that that kind of help. I'm I'm doing fine." And they left. Uh, Howard looked at, at Jim and said, "Do you think any good will come out of this?" And Jim said, good has come out of it. We're we're sober another day. That story has so many different levels of of help to me anyway, in terms of how do we do service? Um, First of all, we have to let go of the result of of our desired results. If, if, If every alcoholic who ever went on a 12 step call expected the person to enter the program within the month thought that was the most important thing. We wouldn't have any 12-step calls anymore <laughs> uh, because it's not that easy. It doesn't happen automatic, but there's also a personal benefit. And I think this reflects that service is so important to who we are as human beings. This is where I can kind of, I think get get preachy if I'm not careful, uh, but what brings life and fulfillment and a sense of meaning to our lives is is, service but it's very discouraging and one of the things that helps it happen that i've learned from this fellowship is to let go of the desire of my desired results i do what i can do and then i let it go and and leave it in the hands of the person to do something i'm reminded i was, recently was uh, well not real recently but not long ago was reading some of material from Martin Luther King Jr. And one of the phrases that he used that he didn't use a lot in his sermons, but it was in, in his speeches, but it fits here so well. Someone asked if he was optimistic about what was gonna happen with the civil rights movement. And he said, no, I'm not optimistic, but I'm hopeful. He was hopeful because he had seen change that had happened. He was hopeful because he himself had experienced a kind of change but he wasn't optimistic that the world was gonna change. I I thought, boy, does that ever hit it on the head. And so when a person goes out for a 12 step call, I think they're hopeful, but not particularly optimistic. And I think that makes a great deal of sense. And it's taught me how to do service. There's a lot more I could talk about. I I wanna leave some, a little time anyway, other spiritual characteristics, parts of this spirituality, anonymity, self-support, being non-professional, never organized, listening, financial practices, not endorsing any movement or outside entity, and autonomy. There's so much more that is a part of this spirituality, but these are the, the, the things that kind of have been really important for me. Uh, So let me close by talking a little bit about God for since this group is free thinking. Uh, From a theological point of view, all talk about God is metaphor. The beginning premise theologically about God is that we do not understand God. We cannot understand God because our view, if we have an understanding, is too small. That God is larger and beyond every view that that exists. I end up personally uh, kind of intrigued with the mystical views of God, which somehow incorporates God into creation and into all things. Um, I also, in my practice, I think I'm pretty metaphorical. uh, And, do this sort of traditional practice, but I understand that God is not some sort of male figure up in heaven who's going to intervene and make everything okay if I'm a good guy. Let's get rid of that. Uh, And so what I would like, what I do in in AA is is probably heresy. AA heresy, can you have an AA heresy? I hope not. When I hear God of our understanding or God as we understand him, I translate that in my own brain, own mind and say, God of our experience. Because I think it is this experience of the higher power that has transformed our lives, that has brought a new way of living uh, is what we're talking about when we're talking about God. Uh, And it's the experience between those who have a belief in God in a traditional deity, and the experience of those who do not is pretty much the same. And my my experience in this fellowship is that I have grown and learned so much from my atheists, agnostics, Jews, and Buddhists who are part of this fellowship. Uh, maybe more than I've learned from my own denomination. Uh, it's uh, there are a few people there that are that I go with too. So. Uh, but it, it's experience that is the commonality, and so I like to just translate it: God of my God of my experience, higher power, power of my experience, power of my experience that changes my life, power I experience that changes my life. Okay, let me close, and I'm going to close with a story, if I can find it, because this again is a piece of of this fellowship that's so important. So. The disciples to a rabbi uh, came to him and said, In the Talmud, it says that we must thank God as much for the bad days as for the good. How can that be? What would our gratitude mean if we gave it equally for the good and the bad? And the rabbi replied to them, Go to Annapol and see Rabbi Zusha. He will have that answer for you. I cannot answer it. So they went to Annapol, inquired for Rabbi Zusha. Went to, found that he lived on the poorest street in the town. As they went down the street, he, they found his tiny shack between two kind of small rundown houses. When they entered, Rabbi Zusha was sitting at the bare table, reading a volume by the light of a small window. And he said, welcome, please pardon me for not getting up. I've hurt my leg, but would you like some food? I have some bread and there's water. No, they said, we've come to ask you a question. Our rabbi told us that you might help us understand. Why do our sages tell us to thank God as much for the bad days as for the good? Rabbi Zusha laughed. Me, I have no idea why the rabbi would send you to me. He shook his head in puzzlement. You see, I have never had a bad day. Every day God has given me is filled with miracles. And every day that God has given me in this fellowship, I have seen and experienced miracles, and I thank you.